Good morning everybody, I'm Christine. I'm standing in beautiful Tea Tree Gully, not far from where my um, daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren live. It's a gorgeous sunny day. It's a privilege to read God's Word to you this morning. Um, it's probably one of the last times that I'm going to read God's Word to you at uh, Trinity Mobbury because my husband David and I are going on the church plant, which is very exciting. It's going to be hard to leave you all but it's uh, going to be an honour and a privilege to reach out a little bit further than where we are now. So this morning there's two readings for you. The first one is from Exodus. Um, it's just one um, small verse that I'm sure is going to be explained to us later, but it kind of hardly needs any explanation. This is Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. And then we'll move on to Matthew, into the New Testament now. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Good morning, everyone. Have you ever had that experience where you're watching a movie and as the story unfolds, you find yourself wanting and hoping that two people will overcome all the hurdles and fall in love you're drawn in by the story, by the music, by the characters, and you just want them to be together and to be happy. But then for some reason, you step back from what you're watching. And like coming out of a trance, you think, hang on a minute, they're already with someone. What they're doing is not romantic or pure. It's unfaithful. It's unloving. It's wrong. It's kind of dirty. And often the movie or book tries to ward off the possibility that you might wake up from under its spell. And so well before you have that moment of repulsion, it presents their partner as a jerk or as a bad fit, or it gives some other justification for why this unfaithfulness is understandable and good. But if you take away the music and the carefully crafted scenes, and if you step back from the emotional investment that you've made in the characters, have you ever had the, the experience where you see through the lie. And maybe you even feel a bit shaken and think, I was actually engaging in this movie as if adultery is a good thing. Where did that come from? Now, I'm not making a comment or a criticism about movie makers. I'm making a comment about what this tells us about our hearts. Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And Jesus says in Mark chapter seven, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Adultery is a rude, confronting, unappealing word that not many of us are going to want to defend and justify. But the truth is, 
in the wrong circumstances in life, we're actually drawn to this. As much as we, we, we might want to deny it, the potential for this lies within our hearts. The truth is we could find ourselves in circumstances where we, what we thought was wrong, what we always thought was wrong, we suddenly think is understandable and justifiable. Some of us have already been there. We've felt the pull of unfaithfulness, but we've turned away from it. But no doubt in a church our size, some have felt its pull and have given into it. It's hard to know just how common adultery is, but it would seem that it's something like 20% of people are unfaithful in marriage. One in five people. And it would seem that while unfaithfulness can happen at any stage of life, the most common decade that it happens is when people are between 50 and 60 years old. So today, as we return to this series on the Ten Commandments, we're going to look at this command, you shall not commit adultery. We're going to look at what this command tells us about God's character and what it tells us about our character. And then we're going to look at how Jesus wants us to apply this law to ourselves. So first of all, what does this command reveal to us about God's character? It reveals to us that God hates adultery because he loves faithfulness. And what does this reveal to us about the character of humanity? Well, like I've just said, it reveals that the truth is that we're prone to unfaithfulness, where we're attracted to unfaithfulness. Remember that when God gives the Ten Commandments to his people over 3,000 years ago, he's just saved them from being slaves in Egypt. He's called them to be a people who will reflect his character to the world. And so there at Mount Sinai, God appears to them and gives them a whole heap of commands that are to shape them as a nation in their world. They're to be a nation shaped by love of God and love of, love of neighbor. And the Ten Commandments are, are a summary of the whole of the law. So they are a summary of the basics of what it looks like to love God and to love your neighbor. And God hates adultery because it's not love. No matter how much we might try and kid ourselves, adultery is using another person. God has made sex for a relationship of complete commitment. That's what marriage is. And so sex outside of marriage is tainted by the truth that no matter how we might spin it, it's using the other person. Relationships are about commitment. They're about being committed to the good of the other person. And the marriage relationship particularly is about commitment. When I got married nearly 20 years ago, I made an absolute commitment to love. I said, I, Stephen, in the presence of God, take you, Kathy, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. This is my solemn vow and promise. I had friends who at their wedding changed the last line of that to this is my joyful vow and promise. And it is a joyful vow, but even more than that, it's a solemn vow. At the heart of marriage is making a commitment and being faithful to your commitment. That's love. But adultery, it always makes a mockery of commitment. It makes a mockery of the one we've vowed to be committed to, and it makes a mockery of the false commitment we're pretending to give someone new. It makes a mockery of the commitment that someone else has made to their spouse. Adultery is the opposite of love because it's built on the destruction of other relationships. 
And we may be happy to pull down and trample relationships. We may think it's understandable, justifiable, but God doesn't fall under the same spell of delusion that we allow ourselves to come under. Strip back the emotion, the thrill, the lust, and God sees it for what it is. Unfaithfulness, betrayal, a lie, stealing, using. It's the opposite of love. It might seem strange to some people that the God who created stars and and galaxies would care about the sex lives of his people. But what we must never forget is that God is the God of relationships. We want to reduce God to an impersonal, distant kind of force. But God is in himself Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He is in himself a relationship of love, of faithfulness and commitment. The character of our God is love. His character is faithfulness. And he's made us to reflect his image. The very pinnacle of creation is humans created in the image of God, made to be in relationship with him and with each other. And though we act like the destruction of relationships is a small thing, we are actually pitting ourselves against the God who loves faithfulness and hates unfaithfulness. And God really does care that his people reflect his character in how they relate to each other. But if you know the story of God's people in the Old Testament, then you know that it's a story of unfaithfulness, both in their marriages and in their relationship with God. There at Mount Sinai, as God is revealing his character, revealing the character he wanted them to share. You know what happened, don't you? While Moses was up on the mountain, as God was committing these commands to writing in stone, The people were unfaithful to God, that they make a golden calf as their God. And at the edge of the promised land, as God is about to establish them as a nation to reflect his character, they're unfaithful to him and they're unfaithful in their marriages with the Moabite women. Across the story of God's people, he describes himself like a husband who's been betrayed by his wife over and over again because his people stop loving him and stop trusting him. The book of Hosea is all about how God's people were like an adulteress. Now, this is not just the story of God's people back then. It's the story of all people of all time, from Adam in the garden to us now. It's our story too. God has loved us with an everlasting love, but we've gone our own way. We've broken his commands of love. We've brushed him aside again and again and again. Our character is unfaithfulness. And it's not like God is a cold and distant and uncaring God. He's like a faithful husband trying and trying to make it work. I had a friend, I was best man at his wedding. He loved his wife, but she connected with a man who was married for the second time. And I remember my friend, my friend rang me devastated. She'd been unfaithful and he gave her every chance, every chance. He tried to make it work, but in the end, he said to me, she's completely walked over the top of me. I probably should have been more assertive at the beginning, but I just really wanted her to stay. It was heartbreaking. I don't know what was going on in her mind. I'm guessing from her point of view, her perspective, she would have called it love, but it was clearly betrayal. And that's what we've done to God. We may not see this, But there is nothing so valuable in this universe as faithfulness. God is faithful. That's his story. We are unfaithful 
And yet God remains faithful. When he makes this world, he commits himself to the good of this world, no matter what. And when Adam is unfaithful, when at every twist and turn God's people are unfaithful, when we are unfaithful, what we see is God's faithfulness. His love goes on and on. Faithfulness may not seem glorious to us, but God's glory is his faithfulness. God is glorious because he is faithful to the inglorious end. His faithfulness to this world ultimately takes him to enter this world in Jesus, to face heartache, hatred, rejection, bleeding, suffocating, dying for the sake of us, the unfaithful, to pay the cost for our rejection of him and to win our hearts back. Where there is relational breakdown, unfaithfulness, someone has got to absorb the cost. I remember reading a story about a husband who was unfaithful in his marriage, who begged his wife for forgiveness, and, and she did forgive him. But one day, months later, he comes home, and she didn't hear him come home. And he found her in tears, praying, God, help me forgive. Help me forgive. Someone must bear the cost of unfaithfulness. Someone must absorb it into themselves. And the cost of our unfaithfulness to God, God absorbs within himself. His faithfulness drives him to bear it on our behalf at the cross. Faithfulness might not be valued in this world or seen as glorious, but it is valued by God and it is seen by him as glorious. And he opens our eyes to see just how glorious it is. Just before we turn to see the way Jesus wants us to share God's character, have you come back to God? Have you admitted to him that you've not been faithful? Have you ever turned back to him, said sorry and, and handed your life over to the one who is completely faithful to you? If not, it's time. Do it. Don't keep hurting him. He'll eventually give you what you want. But believe me, a life divorced from God is not what you really want. It's death and destruction. So having seen how this command reveals God's character, we're now going to look at how Jesus wants us to share God's character. Jesus at the cross fulfills the law. He is faithful where we are unfaithful. That's what we see in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. But Jesus fulfills the law in another way too. Not only does Jesus deal with the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf and the consequences we deserve for breaking the law on our behalf, but he also calls and enables his people to keep the intentions of the law. This is what we see all the time in the New Testament. We're not under the law, not because we're free to break the law, but because we're enabled to go beyond the law. So Paul says in Galatians 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And he shows us how Jesus takes us to the intention of the law in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus calls us to go beyond the law to the purpose of the law. He calls us and enables us to reflect the character of God in how we live. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And see the first implication of this. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. What this means for us is that Jesus wants us to be a people who hate adultery and love faithfulness, just like God. That's what we saw in the Sermon on the Mount that was read before. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Where have they heard this? In the Ten Commandments, in the law. And then Jesus says, verse 28, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see what Jesus does? This is Jesus speaking to those who belong to him. And he tells them what it looks like to have the law written on our hearts. What it looks like to follow God's example as dearly loved children and to walk in the way of love. And what it looks like is to so love faithfulness that not only do our actions reflect that, but so do our thoughts. So do our hearts. Jesus shows us that unfaithfulness begins many, many steps before the action of adultery. What we do in our beds begins in our heads is one way to put it. Our thoughts and our hearts are to reflect the character of God. We are to reflect the faithfulness of God. And until Jesus comes back, that will be a battle for us. A battle between the Holy Spirit's grip on our lives and sin's grip on our lives. As Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Until Jesus comes back, living God's way is a battle. So I want to finish by talking about a few ways we can work at being a people whose hearts hate adultery and love faithfulness. And I'm not talking about being a people who hate other people who've committed adultery. Not at all. Our job is to love like Jesus loved. Jesus, who is known as the friend of sinners. What I'm talking about is some ways we can keep in step with the Holy Spirit in this area, in our own hearts. And the first thing that can help us to reflect the character of God is to realize that faithfulness takes investment. Faithfulness doesn't come easily, not in this fallen world. It doesn't happen accidentally. Like all good relationships, we pursue faithfulness in marriage by investing in our marriage. If you're not emotionally connected to your partner or you're just coasting along in your relationship, do something about it. Faithfulness means we don't allow ourselves to just tolerate the status quo. A key part of a strong marriage is friendship. And faithfulness means we work at that friendship and we don't take it for granted or presume on it. When was the last time you invested in your marriage? At least once a year, every year, make a serious investment in your marriage. Read a book together. See a counsellor. Do a marriage enrichment course. Do something. Don't expect faithfulness to be easy. It takes investment. The next thing that can help us reflect the character of God is to realize that unfaithfulness comes in many shades of gray and they're all wrong. There's sexual unfaithfulness, but there's also emotional unfaithfulness, allowing yourself to fall in love with another or to give someone else the attention and the affection that really only belongs to your husband or your wife. That's unfaithfulness. 
And it's using the person for how they make you feel and the escape they give you from the real world. Don't even allow fiction to be that escape or your mind to entertain unfaithfulness. What happens in our hearts and heads matters to God. Unfaithfulness comes in many shades of grey, but they're all wrong. And this means that many of the things that we could do on the internet are clearly unfaithfulness. And, you're, and if you're caught up in this right now, you need to do something drastic about it. It really is you being unfaithful to your partner and unfaithful to your God. And I would say to you, don't let the sun go down today without asking someone who loves you to help you walk in faithfulness in this area. The next thing that can help us reflect the character of God is to realize that faithfulness requires us to be honest about what lurks in our heart. Once I met with someone who was having an affair and I'd asked another man to be there as a support for this man, as, as his friend. And as we drove away later that night, the man who was there as a support, he, he quoted to me John Bradford, an English minister from the Reformation, who said, but by the grace of God, there go I. In other words, he was saying, we're not of a different category. None of us are immune from adultery. The person who's at greatest risk is perhaps the person in denial. And when we're honest about our weaknesses, we're actually far more likely to take the necessary steps that we need to, to stay faithful. If we admit our weakness to ourselves, we won't indulge in a bit of flirting at work. We won't let ourselves be flattered by it. We won't encourage attention. We won't label it as harmless fun or just a special friendship. Out of faithfulness, we'll be careful. A good litmus test is to ask yourself, can I freely discuss this relationship with my spouse? How you feel about that person. If not, doesn't that tell you something about it? If you're finding yourself attracted to someone you shouldn't be, tell a trusted and good friend about it. Just doing that sometimes kills the attraction straight away. But it also means we know someone else is going to be looking out for us and watching how we're going. Knowing our hearts means we'll be careful not to place ourselves in situations where we'll be tempted. Billy Graham was months away from home with his work. And for him, that meant he would not travel alone or eat alone with a woman. Adultery is not usually one moment of weakness, you see, but many steps of unfaithfulness, many steps of poor decisions, many steps away from where the Holy Spirit is leading us, away from the character of God. The last thing that I'm going to say that can help us to reflect the character of God is actually the most important one. We should focus on the positive, not just the negative. Ephesians 5, it gives us the positive, first of all. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. We don't just focus on what we're not to do, but on who God is and what he's done. If we just focus on what we are not to do, if we just focus on adultery, we can accidentally give it a, a twisted kind of power. But if we focus on the glorious faithfulness of God, the love of Christ that took him to the cross and his example, then we'll keep our focus on what is good. We'll focus on loving faithfulness. We'll celebrate faithfulness. Not many movies will celebrate faithfulness. It doesn't often capture our attention. Open the news app on your phone and, and very few of the stories celebrate faithfulness. So often, 
faithfulness is lived out unnoticed, unappreciated. It's in a thousand acts of kindness, patience, gentleness and forgiveness. But though we might not see it or appreciate it, that's where true glory lies. Rejoice in it. Retrain your eyes to see it and your mind to honour it and your heart to desire it. And the flip side of this is to recognise where unfaithfulness is celebrated in movies, in books, in social media. And to train yourself to see through the lie that you're being asked to swallow. Faithfulness is glorious. Faithfulness is to share the character of our great God.